Welcome to the third season of That's So Second Millennium, the Catholic science podcast where we explore the fascinating borderlands between science and theology through realms of philosophy, human experience, and more. Welcome back to That's So Second Millennium, episode 116. So this is our final episode of the year 2020. Good riddance, as many of us would probably say. <laughs> so Bill and I uh, take this chance to have a conversation about uh, some concepts about what's going on in society in terms of our ability to pay attention to things and our ability to focus. We discussed Pope Francis a lot more than I intended to. I started out this episode with the intention of talking about uh, the sort of weaponization of attention in culture where we choose not, where we're seeing some efforts to use attention and censorship to determine whether people pay attention to things like Trump's disputes of the election, the the lawsuits going on, which, you know, taking no side whatever on the um, factual merits of the case, it's simply interesting to watch how censorship has become acceptable in that sense. Um, Yeah. Uh, that's that 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 I don't see another way to, to to look at that. So we start from there, but we talk about a lot of things in society and what we're able to pay attention to, and uh, it takes us to some pretty interesting places, some pretty sobering places. But again, it's still 2020. So next year will be 2021, and uh, we'll see if we can be a little bit more cheerful. Thank you, dear listeners, and have a blessed Christmas and New Year. Curiosity is a, is a healthy thing. And in fact, I know that uh, Pope Francis talked about that in one of the World Communications Day things as, you know, it's part of uh, cherishing the truth uh, to be curious, to ask more questions, not fewer. So that's the kind of thing that I might add in at some point. But um, uh, you take it away. Take okay. it away, Anchorman. Yeah, uh, I do. Uh, I do. However, I still think uh, you and I need to get together at some point when all this insanity is over with, and you know, and and watch network together. I think. I think that should. Whoa, you have got a deal. I still think every day that uh, you know, not every day, but it's uh, truly more prophetic. <laughs> ever, yeah, one of those things. You know? <laughs> The uh, where uh, uh, yeah the uh, the world is one great cosmos of corporations yeah. and that is exactly what we're seeing now. Yeah, it's and it's weird how you know it's it's a cosmos. There's 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 scope for individual people to do things they couldn't do in 1975 or 1990, but and yet at the same time these massive corporations they're just a different set of massive corporations that own everything. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. They're no longer the Exxons or the AT&T's or the CBS or the CBS, CBS and NBC are now the sort of, you know, appendages flopping behind, you know, these other things. So, that's right. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Very so interesting. I, I think we'll, I almost have to think we'll have we'll have Morgan leave some of that in the cut. But, uh, you know, to. To actually start us out, yes, this is that's so second millennium, including the movie that's right. so second millennium. Um, and yet, le plus échange, le plus c'est la même chose. Um, so yeah, today well, uh, to close out the year, actually, I believe um, we're uh, we're probably recording our last episode of the year twenty twenty. Um, good riddance. Not a moment too today. soon, right? To get rid of right, that year, right? So. Uh, Wow. Yeah. So uh, today we want to we want to talk a little bit about some of the things that are you know going on in society in terms of uh, well I I, I uh, proposed to build the topic in quotes weaponization of attention um, and discussing how that uh, how that's playing out you know in the specifics now obviously you know we don't need to dance around too much the question of there's there's the disputed you know the Donald Trump is still disputing the election. He still has, you know, he and his team still have lawsuits outgoing, ongoing in several of the swing states that I guess if they all went through, they would, you know, presumably actually flip the election. And the question is, you know, how, and of, and of course, in the last few days, as we're recording this on December 11th, the Feast of Pope Damasus, for what that's worth. Um, 
I was inattentive to that. That's uh, interesting. Yeah, he's 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 this figure that always sort of sticks in my mind. Not that I actually know that much about him. Like the summary and the missile for today comments that comments that he was actually the one. He was actually the one, and he is right at just after the time of Constantine. So very close to the um, the legalization of the church before um, Theodosius actually made Christianity, you know, the legal religion. Um, you know, the, the promoted legal religion. So there was like a 50-year gap where it was presumably more of a an early attempt at some sort of religious freedom situation that probably interesting, yeah. For yeah. either deserves more study or at least more, you know, broad, you know, discussion of that era than it presumably gets. Um, than it seems to get from my perspective. But anyway, uh, but Pope Damasus is is in that period and is actually presumably the one who who changed the official language of the Church of Rome from Greek to Latin because Christianity in the early centuries spread among Greek speaking communities because people from the East spoke Greek. Um, huh. And there were, then there were Greek speaking people all across the empire and certainly in Rome. I mean, it's like, it's like asking, are there people who speak Spanish in New York city? Yes. There are. Yes. <laughs> so um, the same oh, thing was true in Rome of there. Are there people who speak? Oh yes. There are people who speak Greek. There is an enormous community of people who speak Greek. Um, and the church was largely in that community, um, more so in that community, certainly in its early centuries. And then, of course, the church is conservative, as most things really are, um, even if they don't want to be identified as conservative. And so they were still they were still using Greek as the liturgical language, I guess, until Pope Damasus. So Pope Damasus was an interesting figure to look back on from the perspective of, you know, the 20th century and the you know, the changeover from Latin to the vernacular and all the various languages. You know, right. I, I have to think that he was, his example is at least present in some people's minds who are engineering that change. It, I, that's, that's, gosh, if I could just disappear into a pocket dimension where time didn't pass and read for, I don't know, 50 years or something like that, mm -hmm. that, that would definitely be on the, on the docket of things I would like to read. Um, this is some discussion of that, but, uh, yeah. So, but, but to bring it back to the present day, we're talking about, um, you know, not just paying attention to, uh, the, the, the question about the election and the fact that, you know, I guess you said Facebook, I, I was familiar with YouTube as apparently, you know, mass labeling things that, you know, debate whether the election was fair, um, or just, not acceptable. This is not, this is, this is, this is fake yeah, news. Uh, this is, discussion you know, of uh, voter fraud. Or, yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah. 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 So that's, so, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. And of course that's, that's really funny to me from the perspective of like, boy, there's, there's crazy stuff on YouTube. <laughs> crazy stuff. On YouTube. Yeah, Conspiracy and theories galore about like, just, you could almost throw ideas into a hopper and you right. know, play Mad Libs. And I, you know, at this point, there's probably a YouTube video espousing whatever idea would be engendered by right. putting these five words together. Yes, to me, I was going to say that uh, one of the joys of YouTube all along has been that you can find anybody saying anything. <laughs> and in a, that's, that's part of what our Constitution celebrates, uh, um, uh, that, uh, you know, we, we, we're uh, more creative, more entrepreneurial and more successful, ultimately, by being able to think our own thoughts and to uh, kind of hash them out in a free marketplace of ideas, a la John Stuart Mill, who I've, I've gathered fewer and fewer people are actually reading and, and learning about. But, yeah. that, that, you know, oh, yeah. And that's that uh, to me, that was kind of the liberal foundation of wanting to be a journalist. Um, and I can understand why journalism would attract liberal people with that definition of the term, especially yeah. because uh, liberal is a freeing of the mind and and uh, bringing to fulfillment, a purposeful fulfillment of the potential of the of the human being by being able to be attentive to what you're inclined to be attentive to and by uh, sharing your ideas and putting them in comp uh, reasonable and civil competition with other people's ideas. Great, great concept. 
and we we better i hope we don't lose it right yeah i mean it's one of those things that it's it's in in the you know the america of the 19th and 20th centuries that was you know cobbled together in the 18th century i mean and just thinking about how crazy it was that that all came together i mean i can't read history and then look at the american revolution and think how did that possibly like there were so many points at which that could and would and almost any other like you would you would expect like nine times out of ten or ninety nine times out of a hundred it would get it would get crushed at this point it would get crushed right. at this point people would never right. you know this next thing would never happen um, and it somehow you know carried itself off all the way to actually you know a, you know a functioning central government and you know the, the the United States of America as a going concern on these principles um, and then and then it somehow lived through you know the Civil War and like the insane. It's, I mean, American history in the 18th and 19th centuries is just like, I don't think we appreciate how crazy it was that America lived through all of that and came into the 20th century as a strong, unified country. Like, that doesn't happen. I mean, yeah, people don't put together ramshackle revolutions against, you know, something like the British Empire. Where else did that happen? Where else did that happen? Canada didn't do that. South yeah. Africa didn't do that. They tried. They failed. Um, India didn't do that. Australia didn't do that. Um, it didn't succeed anywhere else. Um, why on earth did it succeed in the 13 colonies? Um, yeah. And yeah. then you think about the, I mean, the bloodbath of the Civil War. I mean, that the South was willing to pay that price to try to be separate and that the North was willing to pay that price to force them to stay and that the country somehow got over it. Yes. I mean, that by the 1880s, it was like, okay, yeah, we're, you know, one country again, and we're just kind of carrying on the way we're carrying on, and no, slavery is not a thing anymore. I mean, and it was terrible that, you know, the, the Jim Crow system got put back in place, but it was also kind of like, people don't change that much that fast. No, that's it, right. I mean, and it yeah. was amazing that the, you know, the in, incredible amount of carnage and the bloodbath and, and there were and there could not have helped but be atrocities on both sides um, right. and the and the country somehow came back together and yes. they yeah. all, i mean you know of course there's you know it's it, it's not surprising that there's a lot of people who've written you know alternate histories that you know where the civil war is the fulcrum point where you know or the point of divergence from you know the world as we actually have it um, because it really seems like it could have gone a very different way. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. So, so we yeah. just, we, yeah. you know, for these principles, it's, it's almost not surprising if we're, if we're losing them because we're really swimming against human, human um, tendencies. People want yes. to believe that they're yeah. right. People don't want to listen to people who don't think that they're right. People, you know, I mean, and, and you know, and the church has yeah. arguably been, the popes have arguably taken arguably taken bad tactics about that in the past. You know, mm-hmm. I think it would be a, a fruitful discussion, like whether the index of prohibited books or forbidden books was ever actually a good idea, whether it was ever actually likely to work well, um, whether it was in fact, you know, not misused in certain ways, you know, for, for popes' political ends as opposed to an actual trying to see it as people's spiritual condition. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, that's the sort of thing that you can be kind of gung-ho Catholic and sort of like, no, of course there were problems. I mean, of course there were problems. We know there were problems. And you, you can get too myopic. I mean, it's like there's there's a certain breed of people who who I've seen, speaking of things on YouTube that you could censor if you wanted to, um, that, you know, trying to, you know, that are, you know, like debating, you know, Francis, he's just a bad Pope. You know, I'm like, and I just like, I can't, I put my face in my hands. I'm like, you guys did, did, <laughs> did a, look up, look up a list of of the popes. Find any pope from the tenth century, from the nine hundreds. Get on, you know, newadvent.org slash and Look up the Catholic Encyclopedia from nineteen whatever it is. I forget 1915. It's somewhere in that era. And look at what they had to say about those popes. And if you find one that by accident was sort of okay, you know, follow it forward or follow it backward four or five and take a little sample. 
They were terrible human beings. An awful lot of them were terrible human beings. And we know that. I mean, that's that's already baked in. We understand that popes can be terrible human beings. Not, I disagree with his politics. Like, for right. good reason, maybe. I mean, you could you could pull a political point or six. I mean, but I frankly think Pope Francis is a little too long-winded in his encyclicals. Like, I don't want to sit down to an encyclical and be like, oh, and now I have 300 pages to read. You know, right. myself. Like I, I, I've sat down. I, I, I have. Uh, I did start reading. Shoot, what's the one from this year? Um, Fratelli Tutti. Fratelli Tutti. Fratelli Tutti. Okay, yeah, yeah. I right. started reading, and and I, and, I, and I'm frankly, I'm with him for the most part so far. But it's like, right. and I look at that scroll bar. I'm like, I haven't gotten very far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Golly. Um, well, you know, it's, it's not you know, a letter like anymore. <laughs> it's not a, it's not no, a that's right. letter. <laughs> yeah. But, but all that said, well, it's like, he's, he's, he's well above the waterline. <laughs> like we don't, yes. need, we don't need to be discussing things in these terms. Um, and usually someone who kind of, um, uh, uh writes that much and makes so many, connections. I think that's actually one of his personality strengths, but one that uh, might uh, rub a lot of people the wrong way. He, he sees everything is connected to everything else, and his mind hyperlinks uh, from this to that to the other thing. And so his encyclicals become long, and he might make a connection to something that, oops, that, you know, that jars you because that's not how you see the, see a thought connecting to other is a distinct category of literature where it's you know you do there is arguably a price to be paid for making it too broad because i mean what 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 purpose does an encyclical serve in the in the church and in the world i mean because of course it is you know justifiably you know addressed to all people of you know who are willing to read him all people of goodwill, which is to say anyone who right. listen to what he has to say and right. you know, actually do anything other than in a Protestant or Islamic or whatever, you know, or, or secular militant atheistic sort of way, just read it to try to mine it for points to criticize him about. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, he's, I, I take it personally, my interpretation of it, broadly speaking, is that he's he's encouraging us to think about, you know, our politics. But, you know, at the same time, it's like you can't possibly enshrine everything that he said as, you know, a matter of faith and morals about which the Pope is going to be, you know, teaching, you know, infallibly. Right. Because he's because he's, he's talking about things that are clearly practical political questions from time to time, you know, and then and, and we should think about those. And so that, that brings it back to like, OK, I, I can appreciate that we should be thinking about those more. We should not be like, you know, pushing aside, you know, into the sort of antiseptic, um, you know, sort of devotional world where that's where, you know, our, our Catholic identity revolves around these practices, you know, and right. maybe we make ourselves more, more Catholic because we engage in some of these practices on weekdays as well as on Sunday, but we're not, we're still not really changing how we interact with the rest of the world. You know, like, so of course we've been talking to Aida and, you know, hopefully we'll talk to her some more um, about right. economics and, you know, you know what we how we choose to go about our business is you know is is relevant to our eternal salvation. Um, how we because it's it's relevant to how we're treating other people. We should not you know. There is and isn't. I mean, there's there are ways in which things are very different from the time of the Gospels, and yet in the same way, it's still like you know you think I I said I was thinking that, and I'm like you know because we because we see so many more po economic possibilities than they did back then. Yes, I mean like. In the first century, in the 13th century, in the 15th century, you know, people just, you know, people didn't look at the world and say, how could we completely, completely change how we, you know, distribute goods, how we generate and distribute goods? Well, we could, we could have the government plan it all and like, you know, run it into, like, if anybody thought that, it was like an idle daydream in a scriptorium, you know, somewhere that, Right. wasn't going to go anywhere because people simply couldn't governments simply weren't capable of that level of control they just weren't right 
Um, and so we can do these things now. And yet at the same time, I, you know, I'm saying that and then I, and then I call myself back, well, what about what, you know, like John the Baptist's admonition to like, you know, in particular, what he was addressing to soldiers is like, don't cheat people. Oh, yeah, don't cheat people. Oh, that's a good idea. I think it's tax collectors too. Um, oh yeah. But then that's part of how people, you know, don't, don't extort from people. Don't cheat people. Don't, you know, engage in these things. And, and what, you know, makes it difficult today because we have so many ways that we can insulate ourselves because we're sort of doing things at a distance, like derivatives. <laughs> well said, right? Yeah, what like we're doing analogy. is so, so distant from the other people at the other end of the transaction that we sort of lose sight of like, you know, maybe we're actually deceiving these people. Maybe we're actually yes. taking advantage of people in these ways. Yes. Oh, I, yeah, I think that there are real dangers in um, how we distance ourselves uh, from uh, other people and our impact on other people uh, just through the, the words we say, either as marketers or as um, uh, advocates for particular positions. Um, we, we really do it. Uh, we're, uh, we're not showing respect for the dignity of the uh, per, of the other person of our relation our necessary relationship with that person and uh, yeah there's so much that distances us uh from each other ironically at a time when things like social media and all are promising to bring us closer together yeah. uh, we've seen yeah. that uh, promise is not really being kept true uh, these yeah. communities that form on social media are really more about ex who you exclude than whom you uh, uh, include uh, and uh, uh, confirmation bias, et cetera. Yeah. And so, yeah, and with, with that kind of distancing through words and through affiliations and, uh, you know, what, what you believe and what news you accept, no wonder people are becoming less attentive to what other people are saying and uh, it kind of goes in one ear and out the other, uh, uh, partly because it's being manipulated and everything. And then, of course, it's in the context of these great uh, fire hoses of information yeah. that is coming out at us every day. Anyway, I, I, I call it a, a information inflation uh, when, you know, there's so there much, go. right? You can learn so much every day. Uh, so just as so much, so many dollar bills are being uh, Printed, figuratively speaking, <laughs> right. so, so much information is being mass printed every day that you can't really blame people for wanting to uh, filter it out. Yeah. Uh, sadly, also they They've got uh, to. It's a matter of survival. It's an absolute matter of survival. Right? Yeah. Oh, I'm literally drowning. Yeah, mind blown, as they say. Right. Uh, but <laughs> but at the same time, why wouldn't why can't we kind of enjoy the fact that uh, there is this information if we fill, uh, find it out and pursue it uh, prudently and in a focused way with a certain amount of curiosity that's based on principles. What, in other words, what can we learn today that's going to make the world better tomorrow? What questions can we ask? And uh, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> that's not what's driving most people's pursuit of or use of information. Uh, no, no, yeah. Um, I probably mentioned at some point. Shoot, the distracted mind. This, this very yeah. academic yeah. book um, about. Yeah, no, I'd be interested in reading that one. <laughs> you, you would, I think. Um, I think you would enjoy and and get a lot out of it. It is, it is, as I say, a very um, uh, academic um, text. Fair enough. Yeah, but I am concerned that we are um, uh, distancing ourselves from each other, and uh, the more we're distanced. Uh, emotionally, as well as uh, by the uh, use of information and the use of words and the use of kind of manipulative media, um, we're just naturally going to pay less attention to the uh, you know the times of our our, our uh, the <laughs> times of our lives, the details <laughs> of our lives, you know. And God is in the details. We have to we have to be attentive. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. God, God appears to us in the specifics of our lives. Yes. Of course, the devil's also in the details. I believe in that maxim, too. That's, and of course, even more, more important to be attentive if both yeah. <laughs> God yeah, and yeah. the devil. As the Jesuit would point be. out, we need to pay attention to both the good and the movements of both the good and the evil spirit. So that we can. Exactly. So. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, the attentiveness is, uh, I think it's a big issue and it is being weaponized and uh, it's being kind of deadened in a lot of ways to the point where, you know, there is a risk that um, uh, media and, and, and other powerful uh, organizations are going to feel it's uh, uh, easier and more useful to um, distract our attention and even to uh, control our attention to certain things. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, so, so radically different from the, the liberal uh, ethos of John Stuart Mill, et cetera, the free marketplace of ideas, yeah. which is really what the entrepreneurial yeah. spirit of, the, of America uh, is, is based on. Yeah, we were talking about things like um, what, how, how the United States was, was very unique um, and... Uh, I, I, uh, we, we yeah, need, I mean, people, we need to, there's, there's people on one side of the conversation who are, who are very, you know, upset about the whole American exceptionalism thing. And I, and that can be taken way too far, way too far. I mean, we're made oh, of absolutely. human beings absolutely. like anybody else. And there are certainly Correct. things, you know, politically and culturally that the United States, you know, does not, <laughs> does not lead the world in. Um, and you could, you could probably find some things where we are, in fact, distinctly bad. Um, but that's, but the, yeah, but, but that would be to focus on that or, or to just say, you know, that, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing is, is like, I don't, I don't really even know what the counterpoint to quote American exceptionalism is like, you know, you would think it would be, you know, where people like other people. And and frankly, I think that attitude should be more common in our political discourse. I guess there really is a, I guess there really is the counterpoint really is that, you know, it's both American exceptionalism. It's just whether you think America is distinctly good or distinctly bad. Um, that there mm. really is this, you know, on on the on the leftist secularist side, there is this belief that America is distinctly bad. And I'm like, that's. I think the. I think there's some unique. I mean, yes, that's the thing. Is like it, it. It's so much of it centers around the race question, but of course, a lot of it's also what you were just talking about the whole free market thing, and you know, and entrepreneurial spirit, and there's a certain gross <laughs> um sort of you know capital capitalist in the in the sense that chesterton would use capitalism of you know vying for monopolies and you know looking looking for any sort of edge and you know mass production and pushing your enemies to the wall and um and and concentration of economic decision making in a very few hands like the carnegies and the rockefellers and whatnot right um, and that's, you know, that's that's a direction that can go, has gone, can go, has gone. Um, and whether America was really all that exceptional, I mean, Britain was about as bad. You know, there were certainly some untidy, you know, industrial magnates in France and Germany over the years as well. Um, I mean, you can go back to the Roman Empire and there were some really terrible, I mean, people like Crassus and whatnot, but. I mean, it's, it's, it's a thing you could, it's, it's a thing that can happen a lot of places and, you know, maybe it happened more exceptionally, you know, or a larger number, you know, more frequently here. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, that's the other side of it. Like, you know, fundamentally, if this was such an awful place, why do so many people try to get here, you know, by hook or by crook in any way that they can? That's right. Yeah. And it's not because, uh, you know, we as human beings in America are different from, human beings elsewhere. In fact, that's one of the points in uh, uh, Fratelli uh, Tutti that, you know, we really are uh, on a global scale, uh, brothers and sisters with each other, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all uh, all uh, reporting into the same creator with all those same inclinations toward goodness and badness. Uh, but what, uh, what makes each individual, there are things that make it each individual nation uh, not exceptional in the same sense, but 
distinctive, and yeah. that, uh, yeah. just, uh, and each individual person, Francis would say, is distinctive and unique, uh, and and hence has a different, uh, you know, reflects that God has a different purpose for that uh, person. I think, and uh, and so if there's anything exceptionalistic to use that word, mm -hmm. uh, about mm -hmm. America. It's not so much human nature by any means, but it's, you know, that we have this really incredible constitution that I might say in the theme of our uh, conversation, uh, the constitution is um, uh, something that helps us focus our attention as citizens mm -hmm. on the purpose of it all, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and that's another that's another threat right now that I see that the, the uh, loss of interest in the in the Constitution and the uh, you know, the the, uh, the whole idea of uh, being endowed by our creator with inalienable. Right. Well, I mean, the whole point that it's a uh, it's the point of the Constitution is not to use it as, you know, a framework where we can does the game is simply to try to cram into its wording whatever we want to see there. You yeah, know, as opposed to like, I mean, it's like Chesterton called it the democracy of the dead. He didn't call it constitution yeah. specifically that, but tradition in general, which, you know, a written constitution right. is a, you know, I mean, it, the, functionally, it's a default. It's it's a means of settling disputes that if you cannot get a substantial enough, you know, majority in the present to overturn you know, precedent, which is to say the wisdom of the past, although we, right. I like that. Right. So, you know, how dare we think of things that way? Because all those people are awful, racist, sexist, homophobic, blah, 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 blah. People. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're trying to undermine the whole idea of precedent as having any kind of yeah. value. Yeah. We're sure yeah. that the past has, you know, people from the past have nothing valuable to say to us because by God, they were all slave owners and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, yes. Of course, they were yeah. all, and that's another story. But keep <laughs> 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 people were, keep people were, right? Um, and yet, and and that's the thing that doesn't tarnish. You know, it's I mean, it's like if if you know, God forbid, Adolf Hitler at some point probably had a good idea. Yeah, you know, it's like yes. that's the whole. I mean, it's a fa it's it's a well known it's it's a fallacy. It is you know the 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 fallacy of the ad hominem argument. Well, this person thought this, and that was a bad person. So obviously, this must be a bad idea. I mean, it's 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 it's, it's so permeated, you know, our our thinking, and it's it's a it's it's another you know aspect of fallen human nature that we basically can't get away from completely, although we could try to mitigate it is, is, you know, you don't even need to think you don't even need that last explicit step of thought. Well, that was a bad person. And therefore that idea, you don't even need to go there. And it's like, of course, of course I can't, I'm not allowed to think that it's like, saying, right. yeah, if, 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 you know, depending on your, who, wherever you're at, you know, if, if Martin Luther thought it or if Adolf Hitler thought it, or if, you know, somebody who owned slaves thought it or wrote it well then we must you know we must we must expunge that and that that's insanity i mean that's simply insanity yeah the, the demonization of people is just another shortcut in reducing the number of people that we have to pay attention to <laughs> right yeah 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 and whereas we should be paying attention to their ideas and paying attention to the goodness and badness inherent in them and in us. No. Um, uh, demonization tremendously oversimplifies, uh, like St. Saint Augustine, uh, he had some bad ideas early in his life, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or bad yeah. practices. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, there, and there are things change, that, change. there are things that he even wrote, you know, later in his life that you know you, we can legitimately. I mean, because it works in this direction too. Like, not everything that Augustine wrote makes sense. Not right, right, right. Uh -huh. um, he could have been a little too hung up. I mean, if you if you read like the latter parts of the Confessions, as I recall, yeah. like he was so he was so worried, as far as you know, I could tell from the text about like that he was enjoying smells too much. Gee whiz. I mean, uh -huh. because of course he's going through, he's, he's making an inventory of, you know, of, of everything, you know, the, yeah, the possibility yeah. of concupiscence. Um, 
and that's and that's a worthwhile thing to do to do you know that sort of systematic thought theological and philosophical thought but you know he's sort of swept away by a certain you know hatred of the material world that was endemic in you know ancient culture um and you know yeah he was kind of swept away by it probably i mean i i think it's very possible anyway and it's certainly i mean it's certainly possible um at any point to you know to say that about anybody i mean like yeah i mean and it doesn't mean that they were you know and that's the thing we don't need to come to that judgment that's the beautiful thing is we don't even yeah. need to come to that judgment whether this is a good or a bad person you know in a global sense because they have yeah i mean we we obviously need to make a prudential judgment about i'm going to read what pope francis writes and take it seriously and i'm going to read what alexandria ocasio cortez writes and treat it much more skeptically and that's mm -hmm. fine but it's it's not like i'm going to throw everything that she says away by no means and I'm not right. going to, and I'm not going to read what Pope Francis says without any sort of critical app, you know, apparatus either. Um, right. So, if he's talking about if he's talking about geology, I'm like, I'll think about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he may be glossing <laughs> something over a little too much. <laughs> But. Well, he's 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 feeling the need to venture into this immense world of policies on everything that are connected to policies on everything else, just as I think the general body politic and the general uh, people uh, of uh, goodwill in Catholicism and other religions were all starting to realize that, uh, yeah, now is the now is the time to really uh, uh, focus on things that, you know, ca the cans that we've been kicking down the road mm -hmm. for so mm -hmm. long. And there is a lot of stuff that's uh, really requiring our attention in the, in civil society and in the secular world. So we shouldn't be surprised that uh, his content in these encyclicals is a little bit more secular oriented. Mm -hmm. We already had popes. Uh, like John Paul and uh, Benedict, yeah. who did perfect jobs of uh, being attentive to theology and philosophy. Now it's uh, the now it's uh, this turn for this more pastoral pope to say, "Well, here's let let's talk about what everyday life should mean, and what the trends in our society mean." Yeah. And I think that's a great shift of attention. Yeah. Uh, but now we, we have to, uh, you're right. I mean, that's another way in which we can weaponize uh, our attention to that because we can uh, either uh, oversimplify it or uh, attach him to uh, uh, some political opinion or yeah. uh, one side of an issue. Whereas just the fact that he's connecting everything to everything else to me is a kind of act of transparency. A, a kind of honesty where he's saying, let's think this through together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it is still a long read. I'll admit that. Uh, the, uh, the Fratelli Tutti. Yeah, that's, All uh, of them are, I think. Uh, yeah, um, I guess. Right. Well, because he's even in Laudato Si, he, the, the whole essence of it is seeing connections, uh, the, the ecological uh, yeah. approach. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, I, I guess another difficulty, honestly, that I have, you know, and this is just a difficulty that I have, I specifically reading um, Pope Francis is that I get really depressed reading Pope yeah. Francis because it sounds like it's just this enormous litany of what's wrong with the world, which I mean, Interesting. He's, in, he's in good <laughs> company there. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Any number of any number of popes and other spiritual you know bishops and other spiritual leaders over the centuries who've written you know in, in very much that vein um and i just i just get depressed and i i feel like sometimes i get i mean i i myself know that you know i am i am apt to to toward despair and hopelessness and so i need a regular shot of 
you know, but God is in charge and there are ways and and he has the grace and will give us, will give us the grace to do something about this, to at least we individually live our lives differently, or we, or we collectively, the people who are listening to our call as Christians or listening to God's call, you know, even outside the church, but it's still the same universe and still the same God. And, we're still human beings who are intended to be his children. Um, yeah. That there, I, I just, I just need more explicit reference to that than I seem to get from what I've read of, of Pope Francis, unfortunately. Um, well, yeah. Uh, part of it is just the times that we're in that he's, he's addressing times that are uh, uh, more, more of a day to day kind of trial that, that we're facing. Uh, I think that he's probably got, um, a pretty good positive approach uh, uh, in a lot of his uh, daily prayer and uh, uh, daily thinking. One clue to that is that, uh, at least in the World Communications Day messages, of which I'm a big fan, and I think in his, I forget whether it's in his encyclical or not, but uh, certainly the World Communications Day messages, he ends with a prayer. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, that's a that's a sign of hope. It's kind of like the lamentations in the, in the Bible, in the Psalms, where you, where you start off focusing <laughs> on all the really lousy stuff that's going on. Yeah. And then, but ultimately it's a statement of hope. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Was, yeah. I mean, that is the remarkable thing about lamentations and, and the, the, the lamentation Psalms that they nearly yeah. all end with some positive, Although the the one that we read for Friday night, uh, Compline, is is remarkable in that it ends. What does that? Uh, I forget. My one companion is darkness. Is is the last line of that song? That's the last line. Of, oh my goodness! Yeah. That one. I mean, that one is a. It's so bizarre. Like the the rules in the in the 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 version of the offering, the, the common one that's around in, in the United States. You know, the, if you if you pick up the Christian prayer book or. Um, yeah the liturgy of the hours that I, uh, the copy that I actually have from the seventies because my uh, brother's college, you know, discarded it from the library. Like, okay. wow, very cool. <laughs> That's too bad. Very cool. Um, but yeah, but the, but they read that on, on Friday night and it, it's, and yet the rule is, but on, you know, on, you know, solemnities and definitely on good Friday is, you know, apparently going to count as a solemnity. We read these ones from, you know, either Saturday night, which counts as part of Sunday or Sunday night. And I'm like, but that's the absolute best Psalm we could possibly ever read at the point at which Jesus Christ was dead and buried. Like, how could we not, how can we skip reading this Psalm? Yeah. <laughs> like the most appropriate day of the year for it. Well, we've got it on yeah. a key. <laughs> it's right here. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, but I, I don't yeah. think our liturgical reform, I mean, of course, the, you know, the, the, the church is always reforming the liturgy. It's, it's just, it was a little bit more dramatic in the mid 20th century, but I don't think we're done reforming the liturgy of the hours at this point either. Yeah, I think, I think there is a, a, re, a slight rewording going on right now uh, for the liturgy of the hours to make it more compatible with the uh, revisions in the um, mass uh, texts. Uh, I forget exactly how or why or what's going on exactly, but yep, changes changes are the only constant. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah well, that's that's the whole idea of attentiveness really, to be attentive to uh, change because there's a there's an element of good in it and an element of bad that has to be addressed. But. Um, uh, change is not a reason to be inattentive or to just be totally distracted by the new information that comes at us every day or whatever. I think a lot of a lot of people tend to just be distracted. Yeah, you know the the crowd and uh, Julius Caesar that turns on a dime and you know goes from supporting Brutus and Cassius to you know to you know supporting Mark Anthony and turning against them. Yeah, where we're. We're not sure from one moment to the next what we. Yes, uh, yeah, we're we're fickle, uh, and uh, yeah, but people don't know, uh, you know, what what's true one day seems to be untrue the next day, and a lot of the anchors uh, 
that we hold dear in our minds um, are, are being challenged a lot, some very appropriately and some not so appropriately, I think. Yeah, some of yeah. them I mean, deconstruction for deconstruction sake take is, yeah. Very good point. That's a good word for it. Yeah. That's what's happening. Women's studies around, you know, the turn of the 20th century, they, you know, of course, pulled some quote classic text from probably the 60s that was, you know, and we, we need to identify all of this patriarchy everywhere in the culture. And then we need to tear it down. And then, yeah, what are we going yeah. to do then? in this blasted oh. intellectual cultural landscape what right. are we going to do then very good point yes yeah that's why it's so dangerous yeah and we saw tendencies toward that in 2020 that uh, you know the frustration of some people was so great uh, or their strategy was so immense that they thought that the only way to uh, create change was to tear everything down and start from scratch and I don't think that's ever worked or could ever <laughs> work. Right? <laughs> no, that's, that's a, that's a video game tactic. That's, that's a right click on all the buildings and tear them all down and take the credit wow. and then build something new. What a good insight, Paul. That's <laughs> uh, yeah. Generations that have been raised on video games are going to be more inclined toward that. And it's almost, it, it, didn't we tune into the news some nights? and see scenes of uh, cars burning and buildings being looted and everything right. that were reminiscent of video games or of, uh, you know, uh, the worst kinds of depressing action movies. Yeah. Or, or I mean, we've, we've been feeding, especially, you know, young adults, teenagers, and, you know, the YA literature has been focused on the apocalypse yes. for so long. I mean, yes. For probably 20 years. Yeah, um, it's it's like that's we're just all expecting it. We're just kind of waiting for it to happen. I wonder. Yes, I, I find myself wondering if that's not a subliminal possibility there. I think that's a really good point, and probably uh, we we need more books to start being written from that psychosociological perspective. People are wondering, you know, how how is life change? Why is life changing? so radically why are people's politics and perspectives mm -hmm. uh changing so radically now uh, a lot of it has to do with the uh, you know technicalities of everyday life uh, you know income disparities and stuff like that mm -hmm. but much more than we realize has to do with uh, the entertainment culture the short attention span culture yeah all of the well, things I mean, that created. what causes income disparities right i mean yeah you know, it's like, well, there's, well, well, racial inequality. Well, what causes racial inequality? I mean, uh -huh. What, what, what are we, what are, what are, what are black people or Hispanic people or, or whoever lacking that white people are getting, at least to some extent. Right. All of them. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's the ability to, it's, it's not all external. I mean, and, and I think most people on both sides of the political spectrum have some understanding of this, but I don't know that it really turns into concrete, like, what should we do about it? I don't know that it informs what they think we should do about things as much as it should. Yeah. Oh, that's it, right. That's right. It's, it's that people, you know, there's so many people who are being brought up in a manner that they don't know, as the saying goes, how to adult. You know, uh, yes. Being brought up by people who don't know how to adult. Yes. Um, and that, you know, it requires focus and it requires, you know, setting the ability to set a goal and take action over a long period of time to reach that goal. Um, and that's, that doesn't come for free. It can't be, you know, that can't be assumed and it's not, you know, and it's, and by no means is it always, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy to, you know, I mean, it's, it's easy to sort of just say, well, that's just a either either to go on one side and say, well, that's just a moral failing on the part of the individual person or to go all the way to the other side and say, well, that's just no, it's just all significant. It's just all systemic racism. And that's why these people can't, you know, do these things. I mean, right. that, that's that's why they can't, you know, get a job because they're just not you know trusted because of their race. It's like. 
you can there there are situations on those extremes, but there's there's a broad expanse in the middle. We're probably mostly somewhere in the middle, and where you know we're we're just we've just broken the chain of you know people learning how to take care of themselves. I mean, like like black people in 1920, what did they do for a living? Well, I mean, did they have a, a social safety net? No. And was that a good no. thing? No. But on the other hand, you know, it's also like they took care of themselves. They farmed. They raised, you know, kitchen, whatnot. They made soap. <laughs> There's actually an article in my Notre Dame magazine there that was just about, you know, that specific topic of, you know, this, you know, poor, well, <laughs> black woman. Um making making soap and stitching her own clothes and you know i mean because that's that's what you did and if you didn't do that you didn't get by um right and then now we have you know we have this excess of material goods and we can sort of take it for granted close to take it for granted that well there'll be a food pantry or something where i could get food and there'll be somebody willing to hand out clothing because the world is awash in clothing I mean, literally, I go out on the south side of Indianapolis, and the world is literally awash in clothing. There's just yeah. stuff strewn along the, the 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 trail, just along the path along the side of the street. There's just so much. Wow. And, you know, people, you know, homeless people or whoever are, are wandering by, and it just gets left behind because it's just of such little value to people. It just wow. doesn't seem to matter. Um, and we don't, yeah. But but then there are other things like housing is so expensive relative to everything else now. Yes. Um, and what drives yeah. that? I mean, that's that's not American exceptionalism. That's true across the world. But that's yeah yeah. There's, there's, there's so many of these things that yeah, and and it's not like I can sit here or Aida can sit there or you know some policymaker in Washington can sit over there and engineer a solution that fixes it for everybody. Um, no, that's you know what are what are we going to do to help a few individual people, and then what are we going to do to sort of promote the idea that we could just help a few individual people, and if a lot of us help a few individual people apiece, things will look a lot different. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, a healthy that question of what should I do? What should I specifically do about it? And hoping to get to the point where I'm doing more about it in the very near future. Yeah. So ultimately, it is about each individual's own uh, uh, mission and uh, particular role in a pursuit. And that's what I was thinking about American exceptionalism. It's not that we've uh, we we even uh, claim to have engineered a perfect society, but what's exceptional is, you know, the constitution and the founding principles that uh, put us on a certain path of pursuit yeah. toward. Well, and then there's also the, the Tocqueville angle of, you know, what, what got things done in America for 200 years, voluntary societies. I mean, and as Catholics and we like, and a lot of them were Freemasons and that's kind of icky. But uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't think they exceptional all. Uh, qualities on uh, all, all sides, right? <laughs> but, Interesting. Uh, but yeah, yeah. but that you know, the Knights of Columbus, or you right. know, or, or a whole bunch. I mean, of course, the Cokeville is in, in the country fifty years before the Knights of Columbus. So right, <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, and then we're we're losing that, and that's what you know. It's it's like that. In, in a sense, it wasn't rugged individual. I mean, it was. I mean, that's that's the funny thing, because, of course, it's both and. Um, exactly. There's an American both and. There's lots of both insight. and. There's certainly the yeah. both and. But, you know, there was rugged individualism. There was Davy Crockett or Daniel Boone being like, I can see I can see someone's chimney smoking over there on the horizon. It's time for me to move further west. <laughs> yeah, there was that aspect to some extent. But there was also like my ancestors, you know, 
moving to Cincinnati and then, you know, gathering together in a band and like, hey, we're going to start this town called Oldenburg out in the middle of nowhere in southeast Indiana. These guys have got this, you know, promising little plot of land by the creek. And actually, it sounds like a good deal. So we'll we'll go there together. We're going to build this little village and we'll build a tavern. And we'll build a church. And I don't <laughs> right. know in what order they built those. They're probably both pretty close. <laughs> I might be a uh, human nature all around the world. <laughs> and we'll build a bridge and we'll have a, a village council and we'll, you know, we'll do all the things together that, you know, need to, and we won't always treat each other well. And we'll, you know, we'll be, you know, catty and judgmental and gossipy, you know, <laughs> from time to time, sometimes too frequently. And, uh, yeah, I mean, but, but they did it together and, you know, they had for the most part in that particular instance, they had their Catholic parish as a, you know, central, you know, meeting point and, you know, glue. And they had, you know, not just the priest, but various other, you know, lay people and to, you know, who, who served as some sort of, you know, whether, whether they were merely just like figureheads and points of reference. Um, sometimes that's all you need. Yeah. I okay. mean, and, and now we really are so isolated. It's like I've, you know, been living in this house and I don't, you know, I've said a few words to some of my neighbors. I know one neighbor like six houses down because I met her, you know, 10 years ago and I, 11, 12 years ago when I um, first lived in this neighborhood and went to a particular church. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know a lot of people. And it's like, that, would that, would that really have been the case if I moved here in 1835? Probably not. <laughs> No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it is. It is fascinating how um, how our attention is uh, 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 more dispersed and uh, less precise uh, than it than it was in the past. I think, and uh, it's it's food for thought, and um, especially if it's if we let let it go go to extremes that you know, reduce our engagement with people and reduce our uh, engagement and uh, commitment to society, et cetera. Uh, and also to freedoms, uh, you know, the uh, marketplace of ideas, as I've said. Yeah. 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 Wow. Well, this, this is, uh, we've been very attentive to uh, a lot of things here. <laughs> we've done our best. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, uh, gosh, yeah, there, there's the, 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 uh, the spaghetti of ideas, you know, expands further from here, but, uh, I think this may be the point where we need to call it for today. So we I can definitely well, have some things that we need to think about yet this afternoon. So, Oh, well, that's because the, uh, the holiday season is coming upon us with all the changes and we just can't wait for 2020 to end. But we can't wait for 20. We're eager for 2021 to begin because there'll be all new episodes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and for quite a while, it will be uh, all new episodes still in the world of in, in COVID winter. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope that uh, things will things will stabilize and. Uh, you know, between vaccine and the natural course of, you know, it, epidemics that uh, the things yeah. will eventually get back to uh, back to something resembling normal. Something oh, resembling yeah. normal. Yeah, that's right. Because, again, it's uh, human nature is is a, a kind of uh, constant around the world and through time. Yeah. So yeah. We'll that's, be, a, that's ultimately a good thing. Yeah, we'll, we'll be traumatized and we'll do things differently for a few years. But, uh, yeah. We'll see. It's what, an interesting point. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll follow the we'll follow the, the trend and the change. Um, but yeah, that all the more reason for us to hold on to what you were called earlier, the democracy of the dead there. There has to be some uh, valuing of tradition and the learnings. I mean, uh, of, uh, of the uh, past uh, as well. Uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. History. History doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Um, yeah. And those yeah. those who don't learn about the past are doomed to at least rhyme with it. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Yes. <laughs> and sometimes it'll be a, a very profound piece of poetry, and sometimes it'll be a silly limerick. It will be a, yeah. yes, a yeah. silly limerick, a doggerel bit of verse. A, and a, right, a doggerel. Yeah. Let's, let's well, try to learn from the past rather than uh, rather than just uh, do half-hearted uh, renditions of it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, uh, we're, we're trying to do a good job of that with this uh, podcast series. We're trying to piece together the old and the new and the ways to combine them better. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Yeah. So. And I think we're doing a darn good job. And, you know, <laughs> doing, a, so, doing a consistent yeah, let's job. Let's celebrate that for the We've remarked several times this year, I think. So, yeah. <laughs> So. All right. Well, this should yes. wrap it up for, I believe this is episode 116. Um, oh, my goodness. Morgan can cut it. <laughs> Fair enough. So. Right? All right. Yeah, we'll see you in 2021. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Happy, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Blessed yeah. Christmas. Yes. Uh, to Paul. you and yours, Paul. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and to our, to our listeners. Yes. To all of our listeners, yes. for sure. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of That's So Second Millennium. TSSM's audio producer is Morgan Burkhardt. Our theme music, Igneous Grok, was composed and performed by Vin Marquardt. For my co-host Bill Schmidt, I'm Paul Geesting. Until next time.